Uh, you can follow along on the screen behind you or on your phones or on your own Bible. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses the servant of God have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and our, against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, the Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear our prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give, our, give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. That's better. That's better. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9. We're continuing our series through the book of Daniel. And you could go ahead and throw up the slide. There we go. Last Sunday we saw in Daniel chapter 8, Pastor Paul pointed out to us all that we are to expect suffering because the Israelites there were in the midst of that suffering because of their exile. But we will know that we can persevere in suffering because it will end. 
it'll come to a, a conclusion because God ultimately will be victorious in the end and he will deal with sin and evil once and for all and his kingdom will rule overall. So our suffering, for those of us who follow the Lord, that suffering will cease ultimately. <clears throat> so we can have hope in that sense. But for now, suffering is a part of our existence. It's part of our life. And suffering can be expected. Suffering is a result of our sin-infected world. We're all in this together. And Jesus even warned us when those of us who were to follow him to, by saying this in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if you were at the missions conference, you heard the story from Dr. Garrison of this lady named Sid who helped raise his children for a period of time, for a few years. Um, and then she decided she wanted to go and share Christ among Muslims in a Muslim country. And so she was there and she started this school for girls and women. And then she was kidnapped and decapitated. And our sister, Sid, was persecuted for, because she was aligned and uh, her allegiance was with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting, uh, May is reading uh, this book, The Wind of Islam, The House of the Islam by Dr. Garrison, and in the front, it's dedicated to Sid, our sister in the Lord. See, this general suffering that happens to everyone because of this sin-infected world, we're all going to face it in some degree some way. But there's also very specific suffering that Jesus warned those of us who follow him because we are aligned with that we have this allegiance to him as Lord of all. We will suffer, he said, because of this. We will be persecuted at times because of our allegiance to him. Now, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, this is not the full chapter, but this is the part of the chapter I want us to focus on because it is Daniel's prayer. And the people of Israel had been exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem and Israel, their promised land, back around 605 B.C., when Babylon actually conquered them and then took some of the best of the best, the young um, uprising scholars or the most promising young people. And Daniel was one of those, that group in 605 BC that was forced, kidnapped basically, and brought to Babylon. And that's when the exile started. And then Daniel, we know from going through the book, he served the kings Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar. And now we see he's serving Darius, who is the new king in Babylon, or at least that was made king in, in Babylon. Now, remember chapter 5, that story about uh, God actually writing on the wall of Belshazzar's reign coming to an end that night? And uh, that, that's the transition here. And then King Darius was made king of Babylon. Then that all happened, we guess, around, estimate around 538 B.C., and then the people of Israel, we see, have suffered greatly because their country was defeated, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple of God that they, was the symbol of God's presence with them was destroyed, and then they were exiled. And yet in Daniel's prayer here, we just had read for us, we see a glimmer of hope. How is that so? After such devastation of his people and his country, 
How is that possible that he would have a glimmer of hope? And it's because Daniel's hope, we see in this prayer, is in God's word, what he has said before, and also in God himself. These assurances he gives his people provide hope. And so God himself is our hope and our joy, and his assurances in his word also give us hope today as followers of him. We're going to see this as we go through this prayer. And we see two assurances in Daniel's prayer that give him hope and the Israelites hope at that point. And they continue to give you and me who follow Jesus hope as well. The first assurance that gave hope in Daniel's prayer, we see is that there is this assurance in God's word, the scriptures, the Bible. And listen again to verses 1 through 3 and see if you can pick out when he's referring to the scriptures. I'll read these again. And I'm reading from the NIV. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, there it is, just give you a little hint, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, oh, there, there it's again, saying it in a different way, uh, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Whoa, look at that. So I turned to the Lord, God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So apparently, this change of uh, kingdoms, in a sense, where the Babylonian uh, Chaldean Empire was destroyed or at least taken over by the Medo Persian Empire, and King Darius now, or Darius, is made to be ruler over Babylon and that area. Uh, this change of events really moved and motivated Daniel to seek the scriptures and say, this, these events I'm a part of, do the scriptures say anything about this? Or maybe he remembered from what he had read before and said, oh, there was something about this. I'm going to go check it out. And so it sounds like Daniel, as we know, in his prayer life was very regular and his time with the Lord was very regular. He would go and study God's word. And so during one of these times in the scriptures, he came across God's words concerning the time and the period of time that God had said specifically that Jerusalem and Israel would be in desolation, but then be restored. And so Daniel read, we know, we can go back and see where this is said in the prophet of Jeremiah, as he mentioned, 2511, where God said, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then just a few chapters later, in chapter 29, verses 10 and 11, God said, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, meaning Israel, the promised land, and Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I know I've heard these, this verse stated quite often to give hope to us because this is to God's people who we are now but part of, God's people who follow him and worship him as Lord. Daniel read these words in the year of 538 B.C. So this is the timeline I'd thrown up uh, in one of my previous sermons. And, and 538 B.C., this is when Daniel heard it, so that's more toward the right side. But then Daniel was part of the first exile group in 605 B.C. So if you do math, that's 67 years from when he was taken to Babylon to this time he's heard 
or read this scripture again in Jeremiah. So 67 years, 70 minus 67, three years. You know, it's like he's thinking, whoa, this, this is coming soon. It's, 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 you know, imagine the hope, the excitement that gave Daniel and the people that he shared this with when he discovered this and was reminded of it, that, wait, 70 years is almost up, so God is going to restore his people back. He's going to bring us back. Our time of, you know, exile, punishment, is coming to an end. That would have been very hopeful and exciting for them. And this assurance that he read in God's scriptures moved Daniel to pray, we see, in verses 1 through 3, to confess, then, the sin of his people. The reason why they were in this mess in the first place. To confess again to the Lord and say, oh my God, that we have sinned so badly. Now, this is key here for us today to read this prayer because it helps us understand that reading and meditating on the assurances of God that are captured in his written word, the Bible, should then move us to pray to him, to speak to him in regards to his truth that he has spoken and preserved for thousands of years for us who follow him now. It's very important. This means to let what we read in the scriptures prompt what we pray to the Lord. This is what Daniel did, and this is what we can do as well. I like how Pastor Skip Heidzik puts it in this way. The prayer that God accepts is the prayer that God directs. In 1 John 5.14, it says it a different way. The Word of God says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. A symbolizing or meaning that if someone hears you, then they'll respond right, to that prayer. But how do we pray according to God's will? We pray according to his word. Because obviously that would be his will, right? <laughs> he spoke it. So if we pray according to his word, then we know we're praying according to his will. Pray according to the scriptures. Now do we pray, think about it, do we pray mostly according to whose will? Our own will or God's will? Think of your prayers. Are you even thinking of God's will? Am I thinking of God's will? Usually I just think of like, oh, this is happening. You know, I'm not necessarily think first of God's will. Who are we praying to according to whose will? When we regularly read and meditate and digest the truth of God, then we are in a sense becoming more and more and more aligned with the will of God. When we're digesting and exposing ourselves to God's word, it helps bring us in line with his will. Because God's word is the the light that shines in our darkness. It reveals our sinful desires and our thoughts and our acts. And if we're regularly exposing ourselves to the truth of God, then we will become more and more aligned if we're desiring to follow the will of the Lord. But take it the other way. If we do not uh, have time regularly exposing ourselves to God's word, I will guarantee you, you are not a praying to according to God's will. Because if we're not exposing ourselves regularly in some way to God's word, we're going to be just praying according to our will. And then God won't answer. Or we think he won't answer. Actually, he's just saying no. (laughs) And we're like, ah, I'm not getting what I want. That kind of thing. Well, 1 John 5, 14. 
Ask for anything according to his will, and he will hear you. Which is not according to his will. Another assurance of Scripture in Daniel's prayer here we see in verses 11 and 12, where Daniel prayed, Therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, bing, 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 that should be Scripture again there, right? The servant of God have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Now, he's referring to here in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law of God that the Jews looked at. Leviticus chapter 26, I encourage you, you should read that sometime. Or Deuteronomy chapter 28. These are two chapters, full chapters, that are on what he is referring to here where God warned Israel that if they continue to be unfaithful to him, then he will set disaster on them. He will demolish Jerusalem. He will scatter them among the nations. Now, I need to be qualified here. When, you, when I went and read these chapters, he's not just saying, you, you mess up once, I'm going to do this. No, he said, if you disobey me, I will bring famine on you. And then even if after that, you still disobey me, I will cause other nations to come in and cause you harm. And even after that, if you still disobey me, and he goes through this time and a time and time again, then finally at the end of the chapter he goes, and after all these things, if you still are unfaithful to me, I will destroy you, and I will scatter you among the nations. So it's not like, you know, he's giving them chance after chance after chance. It's, it's, it's interesting, but Daniel is relying on the scriptures and saying, this is why we're in this mess, and he's acknowledging it in his prayer. Is acknowledging the truth of God. And then another assurance of the scriptures we see is in verse 15 of his prayer, where Daniel prayed, Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Oh, how did he know about that in the scriptures, right? And who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Daniel, again, was recounting what was recorded in the book of Exodus of God saving Israel from their slavery in Egypt. And this is recorded. This is the word of God that he is bringing up again in his prayer. According to what God had done before in Egypt, where he saved them, he has promised again that he mentioned in the beginning of of our text today that God is going to save them again. He's going to save them from exile and bring them and restore them back in Jerusalem. See, God acts as Savior repeatedly throughout Scriptures, from the very beginning to the end. We see this theme that God is our Savior. God saves His people, those who, who follow Him and worship Him. And we see that even after Egypt, when he saved them and brought them into the land of Canaan and settled them, he saved them time and time again during the time of the judges. Right? They would have that cycle of being obedient and following him, and then they'd go away and they'd be unfaithful. He, and then time and time again through the period of the kings of the, in the Old Testament before Christ, the kings of Judah and Israel, when the, even after the kingdom split up, he would save them from nations that would come and try to destroy them time and time again and then ultimately we see god's saving grace once and for all in jesus christ where he sent jesus to save all mankind at least as a gift and offer to them if they would only follow him when we view history from god's perspective 
we really see history as his story. Because God is control of everything. He allows things to happen that is all working within his plan eventually. And he can work through all things because he is sovereign and almighty and powerful. History is just his story. One assurance we observe in Daniel's prayer is that gave hope to Daniel and the Israelites is the assurance of Scripture, God's Word that has been preserved and written down, and that can be our assurance as well today. Another assurance, then, the second one we see throughout Daniel's prayer is that gave hope to Daniel and the Israelites is the character of God himself, God's character. And we see this right in the very beginning of his prayer in verse 4, when Daniel started his prayer saying, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. God is great and awesome. Except uh, in the English language, we overuse those words. So much so that they do not have the power of description anymore. I mean, it's not uncommon for us to say, oh, you got an awesome ride. Or, you know, that, uh, that was awesome when we'd eat a really good burger or steak or something. We just throw that word out there. Or maybe if we have a little uh, relative or a kid in the church that's like, you know, two or three years old and they jump over something on the floor, we might say, that was awesome, you know, uh, just to try to encourage them. We use this word. We overuse this word awesome. But awesome, the definition of awesome is causing or inducing awe inspiring an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or fear. That's not how we use the word. And then think of the word great. <laughs> I misuse this word all the time. You've, many of you have probably seen me mis overuse this word, I should say. Because you'll write me something that you're doing or whatever, and instead of saying, hey, that's great news, I'll just say, great. Because <laughs> it's short. It takes less time, <laughs> right? Great. We use that word, overuse that word so many times. Think of how many times you've missed or overused these words, great or awesome, just in the last 24 hours. Either said it, wrote it, whatever. But God is great and awesome. These words are appropriate descriptions of God. Why so? Because God is awesome. He knows the future before it happens. Think of that. I don't know if I'd want to know the future before it happened. <laughs> but God knows the future before it happens. That is awesome. We also know this because he is all-knowing. He is what we call in theological terms omniscient. All-knowing. God said through the prophet Isaiah. And again, we're looking at Scripture for the assurances here. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. God is awesome. People have said he is the God of now. He is now in the past. He is now in the present. And he is now in the future. All at the same time. Or actually, he's beyond time then, right? Because he created time. Think about it. If you were right now in the past, present, and future, that gives you kind of a unique perspective than what we have. We're always in the present. And we kind of remember the past. But we're not there. And a lot of times we remember the past incorrectly because it's just from our perspective. But God is the God of now. That is awesome. Awesome. And then God is great. Greater because he is, as we know from scriptures, the creator 
of all things, this reality, this dimension, all the dimensions, if we want to get into the different dimensions that are possibly out there. He is the creator of the universe, the earth. He's the creator of your mind, your personality, your good looks. He is the the master creator, the designer. That means he is awesome. He is great. Ah, The true greatness of God is not really thought of. And and I like this quote from J.I. Packer. He says, The ignorance of God lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today because we don't see God as great and awesome. We see him as great and awesome in the sense of like, wow, this was awesome. But he's not really awesome and great. We've, we've diminished those descript- the description of how God is great and awesome. This is like, you know, the man who struggled with his confidence um, and, he, and he went to the doctor and he said, doctor, I have this, I'm struggling with this inferiority complex. I just, I look down on myself so much. And so, the, can you help me out? And the doctor said, okay, we'll do some tests. And so they ran some tests on him and all this stuff and he did these, took these quizzes and stuff and then after all these tests are done, the doctor comes back to him and says, you know, all the tests, every single one of them confirm." that you are truly inferior. Yes, you are. And, and, and likewise for us, until we can really see ourselves as inferior in the sense of how great God is and awesome he is, yes, we are inferior to God. Matter of fact, we're like nothing to God comparatively because we are his creation. Until we can come to grips with our own inferiority, we're going to think like, ah, oh, I should... I should be better, I should be stronger, I should be this, I should be that, and, and then look, you know, feel bad about ourselves rather than looking at God and how great he is. You know, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less often and more of who God is and how great he is. Daniel also referred to God's character in verse 9 we see of his prayer. When he prayed, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. What hope this gave Daniel and what hope it continues to give us because God is merciful and forgiving. Merciful means just bringing relief to something that's really unpleasant. And so in our case, we don't receive what we deserve. That is God's wrath, God's punishment because of Christ taking the punishment deserve on him. That's God's mercy and forgiveness in and through Christ Jesus. Mercy is not receiving something that's unpleasant or being spared that. Forgiving means to cancel a debt or to simply let go of. And so when our failure meets God's mercy and forgiveness, there is joy. There builds confidence in us and assurance in who God is because he is merciful and forgiving. See, the amazing character of God is that he is attracted to weakness. Think of that. God is attracted to weakness because through weakness, our weakness, his glory and power is clearly seen because there's no way we could have done anything like that. The Lord spoke of this to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect 
in weakness. When we are weak, God's strength and glory is seen more brightly. So when we try to be strong and present a strong image and like, you know, I'm a self-made man, I'm a true American, right? Then we are not displaying the glory of God. We're trying to boost ourselves up. And this is why we encourage each one of us, when we share a testimony, you know, a chance any one of you want to, you encourage you to get up here and share. Share about our struggles. Share about our failures and how God rescued us. How he came and was the savior of us and transformed us in some way and how he continues to do so. Because God is the hero of each of our stories. We need rescuing because we are weak and sinful. And because we are sinners in need of his grace, he came because of his love and therefore his glory is seen in Christ, our Lord and our Savior. God is merciful and forgiving in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's an example of this that happened in history not too long ago, 1992 Barcelona, Barcelona Olympics. Um, it's a, a, something that happened that was a glimpse of this characteristic of God. Uh, and the whole world got to see it. It was one of the track and field's most incredible moments. Uh, Britain's Derek Redmond. Uh, he dreamed all his life of winning the gold medal in the 400-meter uh, race. And so he had gotten to the semifinals. Uh, not the finals yet, but he was within one step, in a sense, of his dream of getting this gold medal. And so he started running that race, and he was about halfway through the race when he got this sharp pain in his right back of his leg, his hamstring. And he just, it was so hard, he just went down on the ground. And this is him, laying there, holding his, the back of his leg. And Sports Illustrated recorded the dramatic events, and so I'm going to uh, read what they wrote there. And as medical attendants were approaching Redmond, this is Derek Redmond on the ground, he fought to his feet, and he said later, it was like animal instinct. And so he set out hopping in a crazed attempt to finish the race. And he reached the stretch toward the finish line, and a large man in a T-shirt came out of the stands, hurled aside a security guard, and ran to Redmond, embracing him. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. You don't have to do this, he told his weeping son. Yes, I do, Derek said. Well then, said Jim, the father, we're going to finish this together. And they did. And so with his father and Derek, they limped toward the, the, the finish line. And they kept waving off security men. And Derek borrowed, uh, borrowed his head, like you see a little bit here, um, into his father at times. And they, you know, Derek did not get the gold medal. <laughs> you know, he even last for sure. But Derek walked away that day with an incredible memory of his father and what his father was willing to do to come out of the stands and help him finish to the finish line. And I share this because this is an image, a glimpse of what the Father of Heaven did for us. Because he saw us struggling as his creation in our sin. And he came out to us to live among us in the flesh in Jesus Christ, his, his Son, and to walk with us to the finish line. As Jesus said, even though Jesus was killed and rose to the dead, he said, I will always be with you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we struggle with suffering, when we are suffering in some way, we have hope 
because of the assurance of what God has said in his scriptures and because of God's character as we see in Christ Jesus. He is willing to come alongside you no matter what you're facing, no matter how personal it is. He is there wanting to have you know his love, believe in his love, follow his love, and follow him as Lord of your life. Stop fighting against him. Stop praying and living according to your own will, but according to his will. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are great and awesome. You set the stars in the heavens. You set the world into motion. You breathed your life into creation and you walked among your created. You alone are worthy of all worship and praise. And our hearts exist because of you. Your love is greater than life itself. And we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.